Hi hey there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me today's episode is a very special guest, Michael Lucas. Michael is an active fund manager and the CEO of TrueMark Investments, the issuer of a number of ETFs, including the TrueShares Technology, AI, and Deep Learning ETF. Before we get into our conversation with Michael, I just want to have a quick word from our friends at Vodafone Business. Vodafone Business has always been a reliable provider for mobile and broadband needs, but now they are so much more. Did you know they offer an array of digital apps from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders? They're no longer a telecoms provider, they're a comprehensive technology partner. They're really stepping up to help businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world, offering insightful digital advice and cutting edge solutions on top of their dependable mobile network and broadband services. So if you're on a digital journey yourself, remember Vodafone Business is there to support, guide and empower you every step of the way. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Stock Club. I'm joined by a very special guest today, Michael Lucas. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. We're very happy to have you. Uh, Michael is an experienced active fund manager. He's a thematic investor and the CEO and principal of TrueMark Investments, the issuer of a number of actively managed ETFs. But perhaps most interesting for today's conversation is the TrueShares Technology, AI, and Deep Learning ATF, which goes by the ticker L-E-L-R-N-Z, or LEARNS for short. Michael, first of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, before we get into it all, I'd love for you to just give us a bit of insight into your own career, your background, and a bit more maybe about TrueMark Investments and TrueShares. Yeah, of course. So I've been in the investment business for, this is where I have to count the years because I'm old as dirt. Um, but, you know, probably about, I guess, going on 27, 28 years, almost 30 years. Um, so back when I was a bad thought, right? (laughs) So, you know, over the course of those years, I've been in multiple sides of the business, everything from hedge funds to mutual funds, um, started out way back when with a company called Dean Witter, uh, that was eventually, uh, merged into Morgan Stanley and, um, started my career in the, what we call a 40 X space, right? Which is our colloquial term for the mutual fund or ETF space. Uh, started my career in the 40X space, not sh- not long thereafter in the early 2000s, um, you know, as mutual funds were still the, uh, I think, the, the gorilla in the room. And then uh, as ETFs began to pro- proliferate, you saw mutual funds sort of divest a bit and start to lose their momentum. Um, but I didn't get into the ETF game until uh, about 2019. And that was uh, something I had been uh, viewing for several years prior to that. Uh, but the, I think that was very close to the, um, the fork in the road for ETFs, where up to that point, the majority were passive index followers. And it got to the point where active ETFs were starting to get traction. And as traditional fundamental investors in many of our equity funds, uh, we needed that, you know, that um, social credibility for actively managed ETFs to gain some momentum before we jumped into it. And so that's when we launched the True Shares lineup uh, back in 2019. And I guess for, for lack of a better um, qualification, they're called thematic ETFs. And uh, that lumps us into a very broad category. But the reality is that thematic ETFs, by and large, are um, you know what we will call alpha seeking, 
And as traditional active managers, uh, most of our strategies, at least our equity strategies, are predicated on trying to generate alpha uh, or outperforming the, the broader benchmark or, or market correlation for that particular asset class. And uh, you know, we're, we think that has been the right move for years and, and we continue to see the, the world of active ETFs expand. And uh, I think there's a lot of fruitful uh, avenues for, you know, for that marketplace to continue to grow. Mm, absolutely. I think our performance always works. Yeah, <laughs> if you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now let's talk some AI and this uh, learns ETF. So I was checking it up there. The inception date was February 28th, 2020. So definitely stressful starting off, I imagine. Um, yeah. nothing, nothing big happened there about two weeks later. No, but I just <laughs> I just want to talk about the makeup of the fund, its top holdings, your selection process, and I guess what all this has taught you about investing in AI and machine learning after three years in operation. Yeah, well, we could we could spend the whole segment on that, right? I mean, I think uh, you know when we launched in 2020, um, we had a belief that AI and deep learning. Uh, we're going to become a hyper growth asset class, right? And not because of the reasons you think, not because all of a sudden, you know, chatbots were going to proliferate and become, you know, the talk of the town. Um, but because we had identified AI and deep learning as a trend, an investment trend uh, that had been around for years. I mean, if we if we go back to the history of AI, right? I mean, it, it goes back to World War II, you know, with, with Alan mm. Turing and his code. Turing tests, yeah. Exactly. I mean, that, that was really, and we could go back even farther than that if we wanted to sort of stretch the definition of artificial intelligence. But the reality is artificial intelligence has been around for, for decades. Um, and, you know, certainly the larger uh, mega caps have had their, algorithms around for quite some time and when we get to a point that we we look at the building blocks of ai and what it takes to drive ai and so recently you know we've had a couple of false starts right so back in 2020 you know the work from home trade right kind of it it gave ai a very strange sort of um uh, acceleration period um and i'll call it a bit of a head fake because it's it was one of those standard uh, situations where you had a whole bunch of investors and and mind you sort of retail investors have never had greater access to the market than they do today and and believe me i, I lived through the late 90s so i believe that to be true and you know, we had this situation where retail investors were just running around looking for anything that might benefit from the idea of remote work. And in that sort of jet wash was AI and, and deep learning because of some of the applications they saw as beneficiaries of the work from home trade. So you had this massive head fake during the pandemic where everybody jumped on it because they thought, okay, the demand is going to be there because people are working from home and companies need to change how they integrate remote workers with on-site systems management, some of that's true. And so, you know, we had this head fake in AI and then it deflated, obviously, as the pandemic ended because of the reasoning behind a lot of investors. 
decisions to be in it, that is. And you know, it didn't happen until really this year where we saw legitimate investment theses jump into the AI and deep learning game. The true understanding of what AI and deep learning is going to mean to society and what it's going to mean to the investment world. And you know, our our stance on this has not wavered one iota since we launched the fund in 2020, which is there are certain building blocks of AI and deep learning that are investable and will always be in demand. Um, and then there are sophisticated users of AI and deep learning. And those sophisticated users of AI and deep learning are the ones that we want exposure to because they're companies that are solving a pain point in the marketplace and they are uh, creating their own hyper growth cycles because of that. And, and so when we invest in AI, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, the last few years have really allowed us to hone our thesis on this, but our thesis hasn't changed because it's been that way since day one. And the thesis simply is AI and deep learning is going to mean something to almost every industry segment in the global economy. And you know, that is just continuing to prove true. Um, you know, if, if you look at AI and what it means to the average investor, you get a bit of a feeling of what happened with blockchain uh, mm. in the early days, right? Where investors, they know they want exposure to it. They believe the hype. They just don't know how to do it. So they go after something that resembles uh, AI exposure when the truth is AI, and it's not, it's not investable asset class. You're investing in a business model that's wrapped around a particular application of AI. And so that's really where we focus our attention. And um, when we kick off our fundamental research process, we will start um, with companies, we'll start following companies that are pre-IPO, you know, maybe even in their sort of A, B, or C round of, of venture capital or private equity as it would be. And we'll use a qualitative assessment uh, to compare them to peers in their segment. And by segment, I mean what industry they are um, creating a marketplace in, and then you know, what pain point their technology is meant to solve, and then who would their peers and or competition be in that in that that particular pain point. So we start to follow them then. We won't buy them until they're public. Uh, because what you have is once they file for their IPO, then you have access to your your quantitative analysis as well uh, because you get the numbers on the company. Up to that point, you're really dealing on uh, customer adoption and uh, you know acceptance around the the AI and technology community and, and sort of qualitative factors like that. Um, so once they get to post IPO, then we'll look at the top two or three names in a segment that we think has a deep uh, bench in terms of demand. And we will own maybe one of them. We might own two or three of them. And, you know, at that point, uh, what we're looking for is we're looking to identify the company that might eventually be the category killer and eventually become the household name for that segment. And so when you see that situation, we call it the hyper growth cycle and you will see uh, fundamental acceleration in the business model of that company and eventually 
you'll see consolidation in that segment and one winning horse start to separate from the pack. And when that happens, we consolidate into it. So there are two real um, you know, points to grab onto when it comes to our investment style. The first point is uh, we use fundamental analysis. We like to uh, pursue companies that are entering their hyper growth cycle. And the second is we like to concentrate uh, when those companies assert themselves. So unlike most of our peers in both the mutual fund and the ETF space, we run a very concentrated portfolio. Uh, we are, you know, again, on a relative basis to our peers, probably the lowest correlation to our benchmark and to the overall tech market. Uh, and you know, we hold on average 20, maybe. Okay. Up. Yeah. George Soros, Stanley Druckenmiller kind of story. <laughs> if you're, if you're right, bet the house kind of. Well, exactly. Right. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, we believe in that investment philosophy where it's the sense that it's really, really hard. And that's why I joked about it earlier. It's really hard to beat the market. Right. And we, we don't make any, any bones about that. You know, I had the good fortune um, maybe 10 years ago to work on a, a project with um, uh, Burton Malkiel, right. You know, the author of random walk down Wall. Wall street. Yeah. And so we would have, some interesting discussions because Bert obviously uh, believes that um, you know efficient markets uh, lend themselves to passive investing, and mm. you know in essence what his theory really is is that why would you pay up for active investing when it has so little chance of beating the market? Sure, um, I believe that probably to be true when it comes to you know large cap mega caps. Um, yeah. I mean, why would you pay up for that? Uh, the only way to beat the market is to concentrate. And if you're going to do it, the idea of owning the market, which would be where you've got these funds that own 70, 80, 100, 120 large cap or mega cap names. I mean, historically, that doesn't prove out, right? You can't beat the market when you own the market. So for us, it's the idea of concentrating in something that we think has legs and um, you know, understanding the companies that we own and the in the in the pain points they're attacking, it's sort of a, a one in one out philosophy. You know, if we add something to the portfolio, it means we're likely going to take something else out, hmm. um, and not because the the story is broken down necessarily, but because another story offers higher potential. So it is very in 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 that sense very traditional, uh, fundamental concentrated investing that you would see. Um, at least, you know, in days past, you would more likely see that in a hedge fund or an LP than you would in a 40 act. Uh, but that started to change and that's to our benefit. So, I mean, I guess that's my long winded way of saying, look, we'll, we'll look at companies that we think have a lot of runway, have a deep uh, marketplace they're appealing to that have uh, early customer adoption, uh, a, a strong qualitative a footprint. And then once they go public, we'll verify that with quantitative analysis as we get to see their, their numbers and, and, and confirm if our qualitative analysis has, has been accurate. And then we'll, we'll concentrate in those names and we will either let them run um, and consolidate into the winner, or we will, you know, eventually see that name come out of the portfolio uh, 
in play in 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 deference to something that we feel has greater upside potential. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's our that's our investment philosophy in a nutshell. Um, but AI and deep learning is a perfect place to do that, right? Because it just has so many tentacles in so many different directions it can go. And I think that's what investors need to understand the most is that AI and deep learning don't worry about owning the actual AI, worry about owning the business models that are going to adequately and successfully harness the AI to solve a pain point and create a profitable, profitable business model. And I'll, I'll just make this one last comment before we, I shut up for a second here, but <laughs> you know, the, you know, the, the, uh, the term disruption, right. Was so prevalent during the pandemic, like, Oh, we've got mm. the technologies and disrupted this. And I always say, look, I can disrupt traffic by going outside and standing in the middle of the intersection. It doesn't make it a profitable business. <laughs> That, that that sounds a bit like uh food delivery apps you know right they came, yeah they came in they came in the restaurants were unhappy yeah. the food delivery apps weren't making any money the customers were paying more they yeah. disrupted a lot but they didn't really help anyone no exactly I mean, never, nobody likes them but they use them so i get it but you know it's um so i think that's a that's a great analogy right and so for us it's not and this is where we get into the buzzwords thing right it's it's, it's we don't want to get caught up in the idea that um you know, a buzzword has gone viral and, and we're just chasing it down and throwing as much against the wall as we can. For us, you know, it's sticking to an investment philosophy that we've, you know, held true for years and pursuing that within the context of traditional analysis where we can identify business models that are going to make it. Um, because they don't, you know, like I live in San Francisco, uh, I know everybody in, in, around the world likes to think that, you know, the tech gold rush is a real thing, but there are lots of companies that just don't make it. And, you know, that's, that's always, you know, a bit of a honey trap that we don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to fall into. And so I think that um, understanding, you know, how AI is going to be utilized, what the building blocks are and what the sophisticated users are trying to do is the key to to fully understanding where the you know the fertile ground is for ai investing yeah absolutely and it's interesting you said about chasing the kind of hype around there as well i think the fact that you have this three three and a half year head start because i read uh, you were mentioned in the wall street journal article there recently but all these ai funds are popping up now yeah. and they're clearly off the hype and the kind of runway that the large language models like ChatGPT are giving it and kind of giving AI a consumer face, but listening to you talk about it there, it's very much a more realistic and I suppose foundational approach yeah. to it. Yeah. And you're yeah. not you're not chasing anything. So that's that's great. Yeah. Um okay, I'm just gonna cut in here for a second and to promo our email charging and fearless. So this is our weekly newsletter. We're delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market, and it's completely free. No one else is covering the markets we've covered with Charging and Fearless, where we deliver to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris, or probably somewhere in between. So that is a completely free stock pitch every week. You'll have a red in about 30 seconds flat, and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you, which is where you get an edge. Sign up now in the show notes for this episode. Okay, so we're kind of humming around the 
the trap here um, when it comes to hype. And I think it's fair to say we are in the middle of a hype cycle of sorts. I wouldn't compare it to crypto or the metaverse or anything like that because it seems much more applicable. So from your perspective, someone who's deeply familiar with the investing side of things right now, how does this AI hype compare to or differ from, we'll say, the the pretenders that have come before it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned, I lived through the first dot-com, right? Mm. And what's funny about the dot-com bubble as well is that it's clearly a mistake, but, you know, it wasn't a bad predictor either. We live all our lives online now, you know? That wasn't a mistake at all. And yeah. this is, I think this is what people forget. The mistake was, um, you know, again, investors sort of blindly buying tech. They just want tech. Anything to do with the web, buy it. Great. They, they weren't looking at business models. They were just following the hype. And so valuations got whacked out. And, you know, therein lies your problem. And business models failed. Um, and there's a whole different story out here in the Bay Area because, you know, they had the overnight millionaires became normal people again you know, 24 hours later and had tax bills and all sorts of disaster. But, um, you know, I think that um, understanding what building blocks are imperative to a, you know, a breakthrough in technology that has, has legs, right? I mean, I think that's the difference between what we're looking at. So the metaverse, I mean, honestly, I, I the metaverse was, hilarious to me i mean i'm not saying it's, it doesn't it doesn't exist and won't perpetuate i'm just saying like you gotta yeah. choose to be in the metaverse i i guess right and, and so it, what we're talking about are things that you're not actively choosing to use things that are infiltrating what you already use every day and that's a big difference from the metaverse the matter I don't even want to waste too much breath in the metaverse. <laughs> That's um, fair. You know, I mean, it, it worked, it, it's there. And, and obviously Facebook made a big bet on it. Facebook's made big bets on things that haven't come true before. But um, so, you know, that, that'll be there in the periphery. You know, blockchain, I think, is a, is a good analogy as well. And certainly crypto. I mean, crypto, um, we could do a whole separate segment on crypto, right? I, I'm just not a, I'm a believer that currency will be digital at some point. I'm not a believer that that you know reserve currency governments are going to adopt something like Bitcoin to be their digital currency. I mean, you can see it a mile, million miles away. China is developing a digital currency. The U.S. is developing a digital currency. So, to me, when all that happens, and where does that put crypto? I mean, does it go back all the way back to the Warren Buffett sort of example? It's like, well, how much is the check worth that you're writing the you know, conveying the, the, the value with. Um, and so I don't know where that goes. I mean, there's plenty of trading involved in that. And so people love doing it. People have made money, people have lost money. Um, and so, and then blockchain itself, you know, I, I remember when blockchain first became a term, um, you know, they started to launch these ETFs, right. And one of the symbols was block. And it was like, oh, I got to buy that. It raised like $2 billion. Everybody had to buy it because it was blockchain. Hmm. And then it, years later, people have realized, well, you don't actually buy blockchain. <laughs> and, and there's certainly not no blockchain in that ETF. 
you're yeah. just buying a bunch of companies that might use blockchain or be involved in the blockchain process. And that's yeah. that's what that's where AI is right now. Right? People can fall into the trap of falling for a good uh, ticker, though. I think C3, oh. C3.AI is up about 300% this year yeah, or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, the ticker and then the name, right? And that's why the SEC passed what we call the naming rule. So you can't all of a sudden you can't have a name on your your fund or your ETF that isn't substantiated by your actual holdings. So if, if you want to put blockchain in the name of your ETF now, you gotta somehow own like north of fifty percent of your holdings have to be blockchain. And so you can't you can't. But when we launched this fund, what's funny, and I don't know if I'd ever get in trouble for saying this, but I don't think I would. I don't think Gary Gensler listens to this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> You never know. So the um, when we launched this fund, we wanted to name it the AI and Deep Learning Fund. And the SEC came back to us and said, well, how much of your portfolio is AI? And we're like, well, it's not technically AI. It's just all companies that use AI. And they said, well, you can't name it the AI and Deep Learning Fund. And so we had to name it the Tech AI and Deep Learning Fund hmm. so that you know, it had that blanket that covered enough of our portfolio holdings where, you know, the, 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 the name was allowable. And so it's a good example of what happens. And so with AI, you've got the similar problem now where everyone's just, I mean, the buzz around chat GPT is hilarious because it, it's a chat bot and it's a fallible chat bot at that. And so it, it's, it's going to be useful for, I'll tell you what it's useful for. It's useful for for chip makers and data providers. Mm. That's what it's useful for. Right? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, well, ChatGPT and Microsoft put this much money into it. And it's like, so what? Everybody's going to have their version of it. And who's really going to benefit? So, so when Google launches theirs and Microsoft has, you know, the upgraded version of Bing and, and all these things, you know, different things come out. The companies that really benefit from that are the chip makers and the data providers, because I don't care what your algorithm is. It it basically like the food and the water of artificial intelligence is processing power and data. If you don't have food and water, you are not going to grow. So this is the point with AI deep learning. Everybody's focused on hey chatbots and they're so fast and and what are we going to do to regulate it because it's going to be misinformation and all reasonable issue you know things to discuss. But without processing power and without data, there is no AI. Your kind of attitude and your approach to AI in general seems to be from the side of pick and shovel place to a mm -hmm. point. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, that's where you start, right? So for us, it's, and, and we'll get to this when we sort of do uh, Simsara and, and Schrodinger, but the idea that everyone's looking around going, how do I capitalize on the AI craze? And I'm like, well, if you don't really understand the AI craze or the AI um, you know, acceleration, own the foundational building blocks that are imperative to AI even existing. And so... You know, the big question lately has been, you know, is NVIDIA's valuation crazy? Well, yeah, it is. But it's justified because all of the stuff, when, when you talk about all the data, you know, the chatbots, all the AI applications, all of these things depend upon processing power. So that's, 
and this takes us all the way back to where we started the conversation. It's not that AI has just been invented, right? It's it's not like people, you know, investors run around thinking, well, look, this new thing called AI. It's like, no, no, no. This the algorithms have been there, right? Algorithms have been there for a while. What we have now is for the first time in human history, we have the fact that the processing power and data availability has caught up with the algorithms. And so now you have all three of those things combined in a very powerful way that's never happened before. And that's why you see this acceleration of, of AI availability and applications. And so if you don't fully understand the depth of that marketplace, then maybe you just buy the building blocks, right? Maybe you're in the NVIDIAs and the AMDs and the snowflakes, you know, I mean, because they will benefit no matter whose chat bot wins, uh, they will benefit with, you know, every company that launches an AI application, data providers and processing benefits from that. So if you don't fully understand where the, you know, the hyper growth sophisticated users might be, uh, either A, invest in a fund like ours, right? <laughs> or, <laughs> or B, just use the building blocks because, you know, AI and it, the sophisticated users don't exist if those building blocks don't exist and they can't function without them. So um, there's a bit of both in there, right? It's pick and shovel. And then it's, you know, understanding the folks that are going to use it uh, in the most efficient profitable way yeah absolutely so i have a question here for you now and it's kind of open-ended but would you say it's still very early doors for ai adoption and yeah. i'm not just saying within the obvious tech space but across other companies and industries that maybe we wouldn't expect to see it in yep yep first inning of a, of a nine inning game for you know, well, those that understand the baseball analogy. I was but, about to say, yeah, it's about yeah. the first 10 minutes of a soccer game here, lads, yeah, for no. European listeners, but that's all right. Yeah, no. Um, and so, yeah, we're very early. And, and, you know, we've said this about the about cloud migration for a long time, right? We're in sort of the, you know, very early in that game as well. And I, I do think that um, people misunderstand or investors misunderstand what AI is going to do to society um, in terms of, again, infiltrating what they do on a daily basis. And, you know, at this point, there are very few things that I can think of that won't in some way be affected by the proliferation of artificial intelligence. And um, so, you know, knowing that, right, it's it all comes together because you're just if you realize that earlier on like what chat gpt like to me is eventually going to be the dial-up internet hmm. of the ai trend right you look back at it and go oh, remember that thing like everybody got excited about that no offense to microsoft and how they throw their money around but it's you're going okay well it's a slave to data and you know, processing power, the, the site has already, you know, had hiccups on several occasions because it gets overwhelmed. So, you know, it, it's not the concept. Yes. Is, is going to be, have, have longevity, but this actual version of it, you know, it's a dial up internet. I mean, that's how early yeah. we are. In this, right. And, no, true. I, I agree with you, and I kind of see 
certain technologies like that becoming almost commoditized and mm-hmm. it goes back to who has the data to who has the advantage but it's also that consumer facing catalyst yeah. to to kind of light the fire and, and that's yeah yeah it's not it's probably not necessary for investors because as you said this march seemed pretty inevitable either way but for the kind of outward facing approach to ai it definitely will be looked back on at that inflection point i think um, i think it's spot on yeah yeah so you kind of touched on it a small bit there about the impacts to society and stuff so as an investor you have to know the risks and the main risk i'm seeing here that could curtail this growth is regulation we're already seeing pushback on ChatGPT and google bard in the eu do you see this becoming an increasing concern i don't think it's a concern um i i do think it will definitely throw a little water onto the you know the, the fire right now but i don't think it's a concern i think on some level you know, they're chasing their tails with regulation. Mm, um, that seems to be part of the course. I don't yeah, think right. regulation has been in front of tech ever. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And so I don't think they know what they're talking about. And, and so it's going to, it's, I don't think there's going to be any, any extraordinarily heavy handed stuff in the early days that's going to curtail, um, you know, what, you know, again, the sophisticated users of AI are doing. So if they're if they're going after it, most the low hanging fruit of them is misinformation, right? And and utilizing things like a chatbot to influence public thought. That's what they're worried about, right? And they're politicians. Of course they're worried about that because the next link to that is elections. And and so I think that's where the you know the regulation starts. And there's been, I think, um, a lot of talk in the communities about the dangers of AI and where it goes. And are we going to see sort of the, you know, the, the Terminator version of AI or the 2001 space odyssey version of AI, if you're old, you know, it's like, so, you know, it's like, what are we going to see? And, and, and what's that going to mean to society? And, um, but there's a really massive leap from, Hey, chatbots might be able to influence public opinion to oh wait a minute robots are going to take over the world (laughs) no you know that's like there's a huge difference between those two things i mean massive massive difference in the spectrum and so i think the regulation is really focused on the the latter i'm sorry the former not the latter and um you know for what we do yeah, I don't think that impacts the building blocks at all. And I certainly don't think it impacts the sophisticated users because again, they're not trying to, most of what we own is not, they're not out there trying to influence public opinion. They're out there trying to help businesses become more efficient and profitable. And last time I checked, regulating that becomes problematic uh, for the longevity of politicians. So I think that um, it, while regulation will happen, I think it'll be, fairly clunky in the early days because I don't, I have no confidence that you know, the bodies creating this legislation know what they're doing. Um, and I think it'll be aimed at sort of the, the um, consumer facing AI, um, you know, what we'll call B2C and not as much at the B2B 
AI, which uh, to a large extent is, is where the sophisticated user group resides. And um, so, yeah, I, I, know I think it's, I think it's real. I think there will be regulation. I think that um, it'll be relegated to that side of the, the spectrum, the B2C um, and, you know, the concerns that those, those political bodies have, I don't think it's going to stop or even slow down what's happening in AI right now. It, this is, this may be, and not to get, uh, melodramatic here but you oh, know, this, please right? if this podcast knows anything it's melodrama <laughs> well like this this may be this is finally to your point chat gpt may may have been um the inflection point where the recognition of the speed and the impact of ai and deep learning uh finally becomes mainstream and i don't think there's any turning back and there is no slowing down this train. Um, you can put some regulations on where the track goes, but the train is picking up speed and it's not stopping. Yeah, that's good. I also like the way you said you don't want to be too melodramatic two minutes after talking about killer robots taking over the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I can't let you go without asking for some stock picks. And I think you already teased them about 10 minutes ago, but we're going to go for it anyway. So I wanted you to pitch me two stocks that you like in the AI trend and NVIDIA can't be one of them, I think is fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'll start by saying I've got sort of 22 stocks that I really like in that. And, you know, in that, yeah. uh, you can find the them AI. all under uh, LRNZZ, whichever way you say it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think two that in our opinion, are in the early stages of a breakout. So, you know, maybe we'll just narrow it down to that uh, for the purposes of time. But two that we think are in the early stages of a breakout are Samsara, uh, which is the symbol is IOT. And, you know, Samsara is, um, you know, sophisticated user of AI and deep learning. And they are supply chain optimization company. And this is a great example of let's get away from the consumer facing stuff and understand a pain point that can be solved by the technology. And so when you have for multiple years now, particularly in the macro inflation environment, we've heard about supply chain problems, right? Supply chain mismanagement, supply chain hiccups, supply chain breakdowns. Samsara is utilizing its technology to optimize supply chain management and they do it really well and we've known about them. we've held them for i don't know how long now but at least 18 months but yeah well, um, that's not that they're recent enough ipo aren't they yeah exactly yeah and and so we got them shortly after they went ipo and then you know uh, falls along with our investment thesis we started following pre-ipo hmm. and so we got into them and it took a while for people to realize what they do and how well they do it. Um, but what you have, and this is a great example of a technology that can be licensed out to companies um, and done very efficiently and very pro profitably, whereas those companies are never going to duplicate this technology because they're not going to spend the resources and the time to go develop it themselves. And, and they do a great job. And they just had some very strong uh, guidance and 
in earnings. Uh, and I think, yeah, we saw a nice pop in them in the last four weeks. Um, but I think that's a stock to keep an eye on because I think it's a, it's a pain point that can uh, be identified in multiple industries. Um, you know, their addressable market is huge. Uh, almost every thing we think of runs into supply chain issues and supply chain management issues. So I think Samsara is one to watch. I think it's, it's uh, probably best in class. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's depth of market is massive and it can span different industries. And that's really what you want to look for with these sophisticated users. What's the depth of their marketplace and can they bounce from, you know, certain you know, one industry to another and still be effective technology tool. Mm. And this is a great example of that. I mean, they, they are from a technical standpoint, it sure looks like it's breaking out uh, from a fundamental standpoint, it's accelerating. Uh, and I think that, you know, that will continue to, to be the case moving forward. Very good. I saw Stanley Druckenmiller bought a bunch there recently for his uh, family yeah. office fund as well. So that's always a good endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> Stanley, Stanley Druckenmiller and I went to the same uh, college undergraduate. And I think he's, um, the, the man is a very good investor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a bit of an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think anytime you see, uh, uh, an investor like Stanley Druckenmiller jump on something. Um, it's a validation that the fundamentals are strong and the momentum is strong. So um, we owned it before he did. <laughs> <laughs> you should put that in your alumni page now on Facebook yeah, right. or something. <laughs> okay, so that's Sam Sarah ticker symbol IOT. Uh, what else do you have? Uh, I think I think just to to demonstrate the idea that sophisticated users of AI can jump from one industry one industry to the next. The second one I'll say that I, I think is on the verge of breaking out, and frankly is, again, in the early stages of a breakout is Schrodinger. Um, and right, so we're jumping right from supply chain management to drug identification and discovery. And at no point in time does that change the thesis, which is, they're both sophisticated users of AI. And, and this is an example of what AI is doing, right? I mean, it's, you don't just say, look, I'm in tech. It's like, well, guess what? I mean, AI is going to be used in several different industries. So, you know, the idea that AI can be used in drug identification, um, again, was always there. It got extra attention during the pandemic because there is zero chance, whatever you think of these vaccines, and I don't, I don't want to, take a stand on that. But what I am saying is they don't exist unless we have this uh, utilization of AI in the drug identification discovery process, because it collapsed that from literally eight to 10 years to one to two years. And Schrodinger, another great example of um, business model and why that means something. What most people don't know about Schrodinger is that when they license out their technology to smaller biotech shops, they, in many cases, take equity in those smaller shops. So when you look at a traditional business model, 
you've got this idea that you create profit, you increase margins, and you have, you know, you'll drive your stock price. Um, but the idea of not only increasing profit and margins, fundamental acceleration, but then the added enterprise potential of owning pieces of these smaller companies that you're working with, that can be a huge game changer. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, in our opinion, a huge game changer for Schrodinger at some point. Um, and I think the market's starting to realize that. Uh, so on the one level, you have, um, you know, their continued, uh, um, you know, validation of their technology and continued customer adoption in, in different uh, licensing relationships. But then you have that coiled spring in there, which is if their technology is that good and it works, then the, the little equity stakes they have around become self-fulfilling prophecies. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's a little hidden nugget in their business model that the market is slowly starting to identify. And it's a great example of a company that has effective technology, has proven that it works in the marketplace, has great customer adoption, but then has that coiled spring in their business model that could be a massive game changer when it comes to uh, market value and enterprise value. Um, so I think that's a good example of, again, different industry, same concept, sophisticated users of AI, and a business model wrapped around that technology that is going to allow it to really become profitable for investors in the long term. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it's almost like the kind of moonshots portfolio as well. Mm -hmm. You come this small conglomerate of biotechs, you need one to hit and you're in the money. That's, that's right. great. So that's uh, Schrodinger. The ticker is. Uh, I always screw this one up. Let me get it right. <laughs> <laughs> The Schrodinger ticker is uh, SDGR. That's it. SDGR. Perfect. Yeah. So there's two stock picks for you now. So don't go complaining, listeners, when we don't give you an elevator pitch every now and then. Right. Uh, Michael, that was a great conversation. Thank you very much. I certainly learned a lot, and I hope everyone listening did too. Uh, before we finish out, I just want to have a quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business. Uh, Vodafone Business has always been a reliable provider for mobile and broadband needs, but now they are so much more. They now offer a whole array of digital apps from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders. They're no longer a telecoms provider. They're a comprehensive technology partner. They're really stepping up to help businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world, offering insightful digital advice and cutting edge solutions on top of their dependable mobile network and broadband services. So if you're on a digital journey yourself, remember Vodafone Business is there to support, guide, and empower you every step of the way. Uh, that's it for today's show. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us. And don't forget to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today, and we will talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.